Donald Trump may be out of government and out of Washington within the week, but he's making sure that he will not soon be out of our minds. More than one of the policy initiatives that his administration has pursued over the past four years will be with us for a long time to come and will not easily be overturned, even assuming congressional will to do so. Uh, an example is the plan to modernize and revamp the country's nuclear program, involving a whole new generation of warheads to be attached to redesigned rockets, each with an explosive capacity of at least half that of the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. Along with that explosive firepower are the plans to expand the major nuclear research labs, such as Lawrence Livermore and Los Alamos, and the construction of a huge factory complex in Georgia, as well as underground storage facilities. And a workforce of around 50,000 is also anticipated. So this is also Trump's version of what we might call a jobs program. These details are laid out in an article published last December in the LA Times. And the author is Jeffrey Smith, a longtime reporter for the Washington Post, and now fellow for the Washington-based Public Integrity Institute. Jeff Smith began our conversation by laying out the broad outlines of the expanded program. Uh, what's largely uh, gone unnoticed is that um, a, 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 a particular share of that spending uh, has particularly uh, uh, gone up um, faster than uh, the rest of the defense uh, budget and certainly faster than the rest of the federal budget. And that's spending on nuclear weapons. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's basically that he has steered the nuclear weapons industry in America to its largest expansion since the end of the Cold War. And it's gone up by billions of dollars and it's gone up with bipartisan congressional support. This has taken place while the country has been, I think the attention of many people in the country has been distracted by uh, you know, all the other problems that we've had to face. Uh, from uh, you know domestic political tumult to racial problems to uh, pandemic issues to uh, everything else that's been put on our plate, uh, this has this part of the um, the government uh, has just plowed ahead, uh, expanding and growing uh, far beyond at a, at a pace far beyond that of the rest of the defense industry. And uh, I can talk about particulars if you wish, but um, that's the overview. Smith then went on to some of the details of the program, which are already being implemented. The recruitment of the workforce, the construction of new factories, huge requisition requests from Air Force and Navy. So it, it's not well uh, known or understood, but uh, 50,000 Americans are now involved in making nuclear warheads uh, at eight principal sites stretching from California to South Carolina. And at the nuclear weapons laboratories uh, where these are created and invented and created and designed and, ref and repaired and re uh, revised, uh, they're all adding thousands of new workers at a time when the overall federal workforce is shrinking. So just to give you a couple of examples, there are four factories in Texas, South Carolina, Tennessee, and New Mexico, which are dedicated to producing warheads and they're all being modernized. And four existing warheads are being substantially rebuilt with modern parts on top of another such upgrade, which by itself cost three and a half billion dollars uh, that was completed last year. 
This pace compares with an average modernization of one type of warhead at a time during the Obama administration. Then the weaponry that carries these warheads is all being upgraded, modernized, redesigned. Hundreds of new strategic missiles and bombers and a dozen advanced submarines, uh, which are all designed to carry nuclear weapons to targets in Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. Um, are under intensifying development by the by Defense Department contractors and private labs. The Air Force uh, last September uh, promised to sign a contract to spend at least $93 billion on a new, on a set of new land-based nuclear-tipped missiles. The Navy has been accelerating spending on missile-carrying submarines that will cost a total of $128 billion. The projected spending on all these systems has been estimated at roughly $50 billion a year over the next decade alone. I asked Jeff Smith about the lobbying efforts of the managers of the nuclear labs, which are privately owned, such as Lawrence Livermore in California, always looking to expand their work and their business. There is the business element of the, of the work uh, that doesn't get much attention. And the, it's interesting that the um, nuclear weapons laboratories, the three principal laboratories, uh, two in New Mexico and one in California, um, uh, not far from where your listeners are, um, yeah. at Livermore, um, uh, these are privately operated um, uh, laboratories. They're, they're run by consortia of private profit-making contractors. Uh, it's really remarkable that we've turned this um, this you know vital national security function over to private companies largely. Now the 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 laboratories themselves are are you know the property the physical property is owned by the federal government. The land is the the equipment is, but the actual management and operation is is uh, private and profit driven, and that means that they have an incentive to expand. Uh, because it, it, it means more revenue. Um, and that um, expansion is generally, um, the, that drive to expand is not well, um, is not closely followed, uh, I'd say by the public or by journalists, uh, but uh, it nonetheless exists. And it, uh, in this case, um, the directors, uh, I think we're uh, startled that they didn't get more support in the Obama years. And so in 2016, um, as the election neared, they, uh, they pulled together and decided to produce a, a confidential paper, uh, which would be sent to the incoming secretaries of energy and defense that would get their, their viewpoint across about what needed to be done in the future. And one of the things that they said they should, uh, we should do is, um, lift a restriction on the fielding of new warheads uh, or warheads with new or, or different military capabilities. That should not be continued. Um, they said, lifting that restriction, they said, would provide weapons designers with unique opportunities to exercise and thereby sustain certain critical skills. Now, I know this because we, um, we fought a long court battle to get a copy of this uh, confidential 17-chapter paper, and most of it was blacked out in the copy that we got but most of the text was, but, the, but there were bits that were released to us and, and they included this, um, this little bit of uh, argument on behalf of um, ending a ban uh, that dated from the Obama years on um, the, the creation of new warheads. 
And so the Trump administration this year asked Congress for $53 million to begin designing a new warhead. And uh, they got it. Uh, they got it approved by Congress. Uh, Congress has asked that you know, various studies be done. And it's, this is only the amount of money that they got approved was only 1% of the projected 10 to $14 billion overall cost. But it's still a, a politically significant green light. And it's a reversal of Obama's policy to avoid creating new warrants. Smith began this exchange by noting that the nuclear defense industry is surrounded by what he calls Merck, a point illustrated by the difficulty he and his colleagues had in getting hold of an internal in industry memo detailing the request for funds, which was even then, when received, heavily redacted. From that, nevertheless, he concludes that the eventual cost of this whole project will cost at least $50 billion a year over a 10-year period. This is yet one more load on Joe Biden's plate as he prepares to assume the presidency. Biden's no peacenik, but could surely do without this probable extra economic burden and accompanying diplomatic tensions. To the question, will he slow down this expensive venture and pursue renewed diplomatic initiatives with other nuclear powers? The simple answer is nobody knows. But whether he chooses to do that is unclear. And even some of the people who are closest to those advisors tell me that they're unsure. Uh, whether this will this topic will get his attention, given all the other things on his plate. I mean, he has to confront the pandemic. He has to steer the country out of its economic problems. He has to address the social programs that were neglected under Trump. He has a ballooning deficit problem. He has um, he has many many things that he has to has to uh, try to address. I think one of the first things he'll do is to extend the arms limitation agreement that was signed by Russia and the United States under Obama, um, which is ripe for extension. Uh, and that'll, that'll give them some time to, to sort of more carefully study this, study the question of what should be done. Uh, but, but, but meanwhile, <laughs> the industry just keeps going and expanding. I mean, the, there are, um, like, just to give you a couple more examples, in, in not east, at a one site east of Knoxville, Tennessee, and another one northeast of Augusta, Georgia, uh, you know, we're building an immense uh, $6.5 billion bunkhouse where uranium is cast into explosive shapes for hydrogen warheads. And we're building a $4.8 billion factory where dozens of plutonium cores for those warheads will eventually be produced. Um, these are uh, these, the labs are, uh, you know, are um, going to start one, another factory operation located at Los Alamos in New Mexico is going to start churning out new cores for weapons in 2023 for the first time in seven years at a cost exceeding $3 billion. All of this stuff is in progress and it's just grinding along. It is a universal truth that once a train has left the station, it's very hard to stop it. Nonetheless, there must be those in government and the Congress with the will and the knowledge and the parliamentary means to slow down such expenditures that both bloat the budget and contradict the national interest. Cost overruns and expensive but avoidable errors, particularly evident in defense estimates, were also discussed in our conversation. But Jeffrey Smith pointed to a far more serious problem in the defense appropriation process, the way elections are financed. 
and the flow of campaign funds to members of the defence committees of both parties and both houses. Both parties, of course, are eager recipients of industry largesse. Here Smith details a costly blunder made by the Nuclear Security Agency, or NSA, and then he moves on to the larger problem. The NNSA, which is the builder of the nuclear, this National Nuclear Security Administration, which builds the nuclear warheads, um, was supposed to take some, uh, get rid of some plutonium um, in South Carolina, uh, but then they decided to shift gears under the Trump administration and use it to refashion plutonium into new weapons instead of eliminate it. South Carolina didn't like the idea of the plutonium sticking around and they had gotten a, a promise that it would be removed. So they're now gonna be paid $600 million in penalties by the federal government, uh, simply because it's gonna, they're gonna have more plutonium on their soil for a longer period than anticipated. So the question you might be wondering is a sort of why does, a, why does an industry and a, and, a, and a workforce that makes mistakes in the hunt that costs hundreds of millions of dollars, just, just blunders like this, why do they get rewarded? And the answer I think is partly that, uh, at least partly the fact that uh, major defense contractors and their employees, including many of those who, that make nuclear weapons and run the la national labs where they're designed have, um, have for, for a long period of time helped finance the elections of the members of Congress who approved that spending. The industry's donations in the, um, to the members of the House and Senate Armed Services Committees uh, alone reached, uh, you know, in the last election cycle uh, up to mid-October, which is when the data that I looked at stopped, um, had reached $9.4 million. And the two chairmen alone the two chairmen of the House and Senate Armed Services Committees, which basically have a big impact on the budget and on spending priorities, they had got they had taken in a total of eight hundred and two thousand dollars from the defense industry, um, and that doesn't even include the donations by lawyers or lobbyists. So, um, the lawmakers who decide these budgets um, and decide whether this work should expand or contract are indebted. Uh, actually, uh, to the to the companies that make money from doing the work. He was able to point to just one alert member of Congress to raise objections to a particular piece of the program, and it was a small one. This was Representative Marcy Capter, Democrat of Ohio, chair of a subcommittee of the much larger Appropriations Committee, who complained that DOD or Defense was trying to do too much too swiftly, which led, of course, to the sort of errors we've just quoted. And she managed to save off $2 billion of the overall request. Sadly, her demand provoked an angry response from Defense Department, and the money was uh, eventually restored. But at least Marcy Capter did show that Congress is capable of showing its teeth. Since the 1950s, and doubtless impelled by the pressures of the Cold War, the US military has methodically and inevitably expanded its presence into just about every congressional district in the country. This includes bases for every branch of the armed services, factories for every manageable requirement to supply an armed force in the field, in the air and at sea, from munitions to heavy weaponry, to transport vehicles, down to Kevlar vests 
and night goggles. Consequently, all members of Congress have to pay tribute to the military, express gratitude for the funds it provides to the local economy and local communities, and the contributions it makes, of course, to the representatives' election campaigns. The investigative work of Jeffrey Smith has taken us on a long and winding road at the end of a very troubled presidency. It is worth further exploration. And you can read his work on this and other topics at rjsmith at publicintegrity.org. Meanwhile, this is Harry Lawton reporting for KCSB.